You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my talented podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. How you doing, Lisa? You live in the dream, Carlos, you know, can't complain. I'm living a dream <laughs> hanging out with you. <laughs> so folks, hey, we're still playing around a little bit with the format, little small changes. Please let us know if you like it. Finally sitting down versus standing up. I don't know. It's all an effort to be a little bit more authentic, a little bit more real and have a little bit more fun. So love to hear back. So for today, we're going to talk about mental toughness, superpowers and mastering your emotions. I could use a lot of help with that. So we get the little stuff done right and out of the way, and we make sure that at the high level end of it, we keep our energy up every day and what we're doing. So we're at peak performance. And to help us with that, I'm turning it over to Lisa. We have Matt Phillips, who is a former pro baseball player. We'll say recovering baseball player. (laughs) And a mental toughness and leadership coaching expert. Matt runs his own business called Matt Phillips Leadership Coaching, where him and his team work specifically with revenue leaders and executives to help them make more money, save time, and become kick-ass leaders at their companies. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm ready to rock. Can't wait to dive in. Awesome. All right. So to start off, here's my slider. One question we ask all of our guests to get it going. It's what is something, Matt, that you are passionate about that those that may only know you from a work or a professional perspective might be surprised to know about you? I actually had to talk to my wife about this (laughs) one. approval? Because I knew this question was coming. (laughs) I was like, gosh, I'm like, what do I say? What do I tell them? And the one thing we settled on was most people don't know that I'm passionate about gravel biking. I bought a gravel bike about two years ago now. And, you know, it's, for those who are not familiar with gravel bikes, it's basically a road bike with thicker tires. That's pretty much it. I was going to so, ask about the big, the fat tire bikes yeah, that I see on the trail. Super, super fat ones, but it's, it's kind of like a normal mountain bike tire just on a road bike. So it's just better when you're traveling around the gravel trails and things like that. And so, yeah, so that's something recent I've gotten into. And my dad actually got into road biking for like the last three years until he actually passed away from cancer. And it's just been always something that's been like in my mind. I've actually got one of his bike jerseys up in my closet that I'll see, you know, see every once in a while and kind of connects me back with him. But yeah, one of the reasons I bought this gravel bike was a, a a friend had it, but more it was that emotional connection with my dad. Now he's been passed away almost nine years, like in a month, it's nine years, which is crazy how time flies. But yeah, so that's something that I don't talk about a lot with people of just me doing my gravel biking and cruising around. I'm in Denver, so there's trails everywhere. Oh yeah. And I'm not some crazy extreme guy. We're doing all these races, but I love jumping on the trails and just going during the day. So that's one thing. It's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, a cyclist myself, Matt, not anything crazy, but every year I sign up for this charity event, which they call the Ride for Cancer, and I bike 100 kilometers. So a couple of the medals you can see in the background are from that. You have medals. I don't have one. So (laughs) you're way better than me. It's like a participation medal, (laughs) let's be honest. (laughs) It's like you showed up. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's awesome. And same, like it's a great way to break up the day, isn't it? Like get out of your head. And I don't know, I do some of my best thinking on my bike. Yeah, it's just awesome. I think sometimes as leaders and salespeople, we're just busy, 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 right? Where I tell people all the time, I'm like, the hardest thing I think is to pause and just create time to think. Yeah. And it's such an important thing. So on a bike, on a treadmill, just walking around like, or sitting in your office, but it's creating that time just to dream, think, and let your brain start like putting stuff together differently. And there's lots of neuroscience behind that, but it's like, it's such an important factor around leadership and sales that not enough people take time for. A colleague of ours actually calls it staring out the window time or something. Exactly that. Just like, let your mind go, you know? Yes. Awesome. Well, so so kind of on that same note, like Matt, tell us a little bit about how did you get to this place as far as like running your own company, doing this coaching, like tell us a little bit about your career. Yeah. So after baseball was done and athletics played a big part of my life, they continue to this day. We have three kids and they play, the girls play volleyball and tennis. My son plays tennis, hockey, and lacrosse. Always an important part, right? The lessons I learned from sports that I continue to carry through this business and working with especially salespeople and sales leaders, like it's a huge thing, the lessons you learn. So after I played collegiate baseball and then I played professionally overseas for a little bit, I got the corporate job, right? I knew I wasn't getting drafted and going to the major leagues and stuff like that. So I ended up starting my career actually with Ernst & Young. So nobody judge me. <laughs> I almost went to work there. I started my career in audit and accounting and with Ernst & Young in Kansas City, Missouri, and then did a three-year international assignment in Zurich, Switzerland. And wow. then we moved back to the States and I worked and consulted for a bunch of Fortune 500 companies and in everything from accounting, operations, and business development. So I, I slowly started making that transition over to business development, that sales side. As an accountant, I always stuck out because I was not your typical, stereotypical accountant, I guess, which is horrible to say, but... Mm. There's reasons we do that. And so I was kind of making this transition. And, you know, long story short, I think we're all faced with these questions during life. And they're big questions, right? Is kind of like, what's the meaning of life and all this, these sorts of things that we always ponder. And for me, I got to a point in my career where, again, I'm working for great companies, great roles, great opportunities, things like that. And this question popped in my head of like, is this what I'm really meant to do? And the answer to that was no. And again, nothing wrong with the environment or the people or anything like that, but it started me questioning and just trying to figure out, well, that's, that's really nice that I say, no, that's the answer. But then the next question is, well, what is it then? And I'm like, I have no clue what that's going to be. And so it just led me to more answer, ask more and more and more questions. And I remember to the day I was, because one thing I've always been passionate about is leadership, right? And I think it comes from my athletic background of how do we grow the best team? How do we position the best team? How do we develop ourselves so we can win the championship, right? Win the game. And that's just always been a passion of mine. And so every company I was at, if there was a leadership class offered, I was the first to sign up. But I wouldn't sit up front because I don't want to be that guy like up front, like, oh, learning. So I sat in the middle, right? And just kind of balanced it out. But I was there to learn. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I make myself better, my team better? It's just always been ingrained in me. And I remember one particular thing. I was working for a company called Western Union here in Denver. Mm -hmm. And there was this woman teaching this leadership class. Her name is Naomi. I actually met with her a couple of years and told her this exact story. And I remember at one point in the leadership class, I look up at her and I just kind of started watching her. And then this question popped in my head. Why can't I do that? That right there was the moment that I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to teach leadership. I want to talk about this stuff. I had, again, the next question was like, well, how do I do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but I think the important thing that I learned through this process is like, keep asking questions, keep reaching out to people 
And ultimately it reveals itself of what it should be. And over the past 11 years that I've had this business, it's changed because I keep asking questions, right? And so that moment led me to start talking to this other person, this other person. And I'll tell you one story. It's one of the most impactful stories. This, this is what catapulted me out of a corporate world into this role. And it was a conversation. A friend of mine named Dan introduced me to a guy named Don. Don introduced me to a guy named Ruben Gonzalez. Ruben lives about 45 minutes south of me here in Denver. And Ruben has a fascinating story. He's a four-time Olympian. He's the only person, male or female, to have done four Olympics in four different decades. Wow. Mm. And his sport is luge. So we always joke, like, don't call me a loser. I don't like that, Matt. No. But luge, so he's got a fascinating story. He's actually going for his fifth Olympics right now. I got to ask him. I can't remember exact age. Not really an if, but when he makes it, I think he'll be like 58 years old or 59 years old. Something like that. So it's crazy. Amazing. But I remember sitting with him. I wanted to learn from him. He travels the world speaking. He's got multiple books. I've got some of the books on my shelf back here. Such a dynamic person, does really well. And I wanted to learn from him. So I said, hey, can we grab coffee? Absolutely. Come down, meet me. There's this little place called Serrano's. You know those banks that they convert into different things? Well, they converted this bank into a coffee shop. So it's in this town called Monument. And I drove down there and I had two purposes of meeting Ruben that day. The first, at the time, I had a nonprofit to help athletes through different issues they faced, right? So we had this list of top 10 themes, and I printed out the paper to show Ruben this. And it was like how to transition to life after sports or dealing with an injury, like theme, themes like that, right? So we had this top 10 list. And number one was, Ruben, I want you to interview for me because I would interview athletes. Because I think sometimes, and this is why your podcast is so powerful, is why I have my podcast as well. I think sometimes we feel that whatever situation we're going through, like we're the only one going through it or who have ever gone through it. There's nothing wrong with that other than we're not. And people have walked the path before. So let's leverage it, right? That's why I love what you guys do. So I want him to interview for this thing. And so I showed him the list and he's like, yes, of course, like no hesitation whatsoever. And so the second reason I was there obviously was to learn. And I had all these questions formulated and ready. And I just wanted, how do you do it? How did you build it? What do you do? What do you not do? All this sort of stuff. And we get to five minutes before the converse, our coffee's done. And he looks across the table and he says, Matt, you want to write a book together? Mm. I go, what? <laughs> Excuse me? He goes, do you want to write a book together? And I'll never forget it because I, I think when you're in a leadership role or when you're starting something new or something like that, your confidence is tested. At least for me, it was. And I'm telling you, I came up with every excuse under the book or under the sun. Still to this day, I laugh all the time because I'm like, I was like, Ruben, I'm like, I don't even know what I'd write about. And doesn't writing a book take like two years? And I mean, who would edit the thing? I don't know any editors now. I mean, publishing, Ruben. I mean, do you self-publish? Do you, and this, is, I, this is how I'm talking in front of a published author who travels the world speaking. And he goes, Matt, he goes, stop. He goes, can you write an article? And honestly, I was so flustered at this point. I go, what do you mean an article? <laughs> so I was so flustered. And he goes, a magazine article, newspaper article. I go, oh, anybody can write an article. That piece of paper with the 10 themes on it, he flips back around, slides it in front of me. Says, can you write 10 articles? I said, yes, Ruben, I can. He says, good, write your articles, send them to me. I'll add a word from Ruben at the back. We'll publish a book. Three months later, we publish a book. Wow, is that fast? And amazing. a lot of it was just that, again, let me letting go of that self-doubt. And me deciding to kind of take that step forward. But that book, because he had given me advice, right? If you want to be a subject matter expert, you have to separate yourself from other people, right? If you want to be a great 
revenue leader, sales leader, you have to do things differently than everyone else. You have to position yourself differently. The conversations have to be different. Like the way you coach your team up has to be different. Like everything has to be different, not complicated, but different. And that was a key step. He's like, you have to have something, a pamphlet, a book, or something to separate yourself from everyone else. Otherwise you're just like, yeah, hey, I'm an inspiring speaker and coach and I can help you. It's, it's not, look, look what I've done. Look what I've, look at the steps I've taken. Right. And I attribute a lot, like a ton of my growth and the confidence in me starting my business to that conversation with Ruben and him pressing me to get that book done. And it, it changed everything. Now, so I've got the, the book here. Well, you can see it on the video and not on obviously the podcast, but it's called Discovery, How to Become a Champion in Business and Life. And then Ruben just wrote his new book and I'm actually a character in it, which I think is hilarious. So Coach Phillips walks in at one point in the book. So it's so fun. That's awesome. Anyway, and that's kind of my journey, my path to getting to this point. So now when my feet hit the floor every day, I'm so excited to come alongside great leaders and figure out how do we optimize performance, right? How do we make you a better leader, different, more focused, more energetic, more confident, and give you the mental toughness tools to sustain and just hang on when sometimes things get rocky. That's a long answer to that very short question, Lisa, but there you go. It's a fascinating answer though. <laughs> All right. I'm going to pull you back on, it was just a lot of good things you said, but as you were talking about how you were in a role, you're questioning, this isn't the right role for me, Right. And I love the fact you said you got to keep asking yourself questions because I think sometimes people are afraid to ask themselves questions that they don't know the answer to. But those are the best questions because you're thinking about riding your bike and how your brain starts working and thinking through. I think the brain loves to work on problems. So if you give them questions, it gives it something to work on. Yes. And you come out the other end. But I also kind of thought about our audience. And I think I'm sure, and I've talked to some of them, there's a lot of folks out there that have been forced into a change. Because a lot of times we think we're in a dead-end job, but there's not that other tree to go jump on, so we hang on. And we don't know what tree to jump, and, and of course, we're, we're afraid to, to take a risk and jump. And then they're forced into action. What advice might you have for folks that might find themselves, they haven't lost their job yet, and they might, or they have? And you know, what, what advice would you give those folks? Don't discount your power. Sometimes in those situations where we feel that things are out of our control, there are more controllables than we realize. So for example, if I'm in a role that I just don't like, and I'm frustrated by something within that job, and it could be a boss, a process, a system, I don't know what it is, right? Fill in the blank. It's taking a step back for a minute. It's like getting the brain to think a little bit differently about it. Again, back to asking questions of like, okay, so based on this situation that's frustrating me, getting in my way that I'm not happy with right now, what questions, and it's asking your brain, like what questions am I not asking that I need to be asking right now? What am I not seeing where I could have influence where I'm not seeing it right now? Where do I need to leverage the past successes to make sure I'm confident to say the thing that needs to be said? It's starting to ask those questions differently. And I think, again, we have more control than we think. And I see it over and over and over again. I've seen this in my past when I was in sales and all those other things. We think like, well, company doesn't have money to do this or whatever I'm up against, or they don't have budget and blah, 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 all that stuff. Well, there's a heck of a lot of things we can do outside of that to still make an impact. We just have to be willing to ask ourselves the questions and be open to it and create the space to think through it and leverage other people to be like talking to people, whether it's a coach or mentor or a colleague to be like, this is what I'm thinking. I'm feeling stuck. So how can I influence the situation? And that to me is, is a huge piece where you can make a pretty substantial change if you want to actually look at it and talk about it. And I always tell this story that one of my clients three or four years ago, I got a text from a client saying, I need, I need to talk to you. I'm leaving my quitting my job, but I want to go to lunch and talk through it. And I'm like, sure. So we go to lunch and I'm like, what's going on? And, and he said, they don't value me. 
And I said, why do you say that? And he said, in the role he was in, he could see all the compensation data. Okay. So pretty cut and dry. No <laughs> gray area there where he could see the salaries and bonuses of his counterparts, people at his level within the company. And he's like, they make substantially more money than I do. I'm like, okay. And then he went on to talk about the different projects he'd run and all the impact he was making and all the value he was driving. Right. And I'm like, oh, it's amazing. I actually sounds like you're doing a lot, right? Of amazing things. And he said, so clearly they don't value my time and my value. And I, I said, well, okay. And then my next question is probably what you all are thinking right now. I asked him, well, have you asked for a raise? Fairly logical question. What do you think his answer was? No. Nope. No. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Thank you for the information. I said, well, I said, here's my opinion. I said, before we quit anything or shift anything or change anything, I believe we have to do everything under our power to influence the situation. So at least if we walk away, when we walk away, at least in our minds, we can say like, I did everything under my power and control to influence the situation. And I can rest my head at night knowing that I did that, right? I think sometimes when we don't do those things, that's when we start carrying regrets along the way of like, I should have done that, right? And it could be, I should have worked out today. It could be, I should have asked that question. I should have pushed harder. I should have done something. At least my philosophy is how do we eliminate those shoulds? And so we prepared a little plan at lunch that day. And I said, okay, two things that we came up with. One is you're going to make a list of all the projects you've done, whatever, where you've driven value, make a list of them. And if you can assign a dollar amount to it, assign a dollar amount to it. Great. That was piece one. Piece two was go do independent research of what people at your level at similar size companies are making salary and bonus, right? I get some, some of your listeners are probably commission as well, right? But so that's a component as well, but not for this guy. And I said, then you can't use internal data because that's just not fair. And you're comparing apples to oranges a little bit, right? Of like different roles, different responsibilities, do the independent outside research. So he did this and he went to the president of the company and said, I want to talk to you. I prepared these two pieces of data. I want to talk to you about a potential adjustment to my compensation. Gave that to the president. He said, well, can I have a few days to look at this? He said, sure. I get a call two days later from this individual. And he says, Matt, I just got a call from the president. They're giving me an 80% increase in my salary. Wow. It means an 80% increase in bonus. The president didn't realize that it was that off. He didn't know. He didn't ask the question. You know, just to be clear, it's not 18, it's 80, 80%. And this client says it was life-changing money. Now, I don't tell you that story to be like, oh, go demand more money at your job and business. That's not the, that's not the point. The point is that this gentleman was thinking this was outside of his control. We just put together a plan to go execute this plan and see what happens. And if they say like, no, that's what we think your salary is, then at least you know that you did everything under your power to, to do that. So to answer your question, Carlos, I think for those out there who have maybe been forced into a change or are looking to change things like that, question where you're at of what you can change, what you can do, what you can influence because you're way more powerful than you think. That's so in line with Matt, with some of the coaching that I do, honestly, asking for a raise or negotiating a contract, it is a skill. And it's something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. But having been a people manager, if I wasn't hearing from my team about their next steps or a raise or something, that's when I worried. I was like, because then who are they talking to outside of this organization that might be offering them something better? And they're not even, I can't read your mind. If you want to do something, if you want to go in direction, if you feel underpaid, undervalued, underappreciated, not to say that I couldn't have noticed that, but if you don't ask, there's absolutely no way of knowing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
But one of the big things I really, really focus on in my business, and I see this in athletics, I see it in sales, I see it in leadership. The number one skill set I think you need to have or a component to your arsenal is confidence. And so it's how do you start building that, leveraging it and utilizing it every day? Because we tend to make mountains out of molehills and we forget that we need to approach this. We don't have to have the right answer. We don't need to know the next step. We don't have to be the one with a brilliant idea, but we have to, we can still show up confident in questions that we ask and then like just what we're trying to solve. Yeah. You can still be confident with that. And, you know, sometimes as leaders, we hear that at least to your point, and you're like, you know, go ask for what you want. And, and sometimes the company just can't give you that. I mean, there's just, there's literally no budget. We appreciate you saying it. we value you. Can we do it in different, unique ways? Maybe, but maybe not. And that doesn't mean we discount your value at all. Right. But at least you have more information to go make a decision, whatever you need to. I think it's that quiet quitting thing we talk about, right? Lisa, like people get quiet yep. and they don't start asking for things. And as leaders, I think we know that at least if you're following, listening to your gut, you kind of know. And that's when it's important to just be like, hey, so like, how are things? Yeah, absolutely. So it's super interesting. But no is also potentially a temporary answer. So if the answer is no, then my next question is, well, when does it make sense for me to ask for this again? Or like, when can we have this conversation again? Is it in a quarter? Is it in six months? When can I bring this up again that you'd be willing to have the conversation where the answer might be yes? What do you need to see from me for the answer to maybe be yes? I love that last question you asked, because like, what do you need to see from me? What do I need to work on? Like, where can I improve? What areas can I optimize? And I think that's that right there. I love that question because that means like, you know, I believe this wholeheartedly. Like we, each of us on this call, all your listeners, like you listen right now, you own your career, you own your team, you own your development, you own it, not the company, not your direct boss. No, 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 you own it. And we have to be willing to ask those questions of like, it's a tougher question to ask, what do I need to improve upon? Then the easier question is, what's the next role for me? And I think when you ask that question of like, what do I need to work on? And you actually work on it? Holy moly. I mean, watch out. Yeah. You got to be willing to be vulnerable to even ask that question. And that's where I think some people struggle, right? Maybe it's the opposite of confident. They think so much about themselves, but in reality, they're terrified of the answer and they're not willing to open themselves up to it. But if you are, A, it's when you get those big bursts in your career because someone sees, if they're willing to invest in you, then you get to accelerate quickly. And if they don't, then you get, like you said, you got more information. Maybe this isn't the right place. I think the reality is too that, you know, sometimes we look at, you can even take that 80% increase in salary story, right? Be like, wow, that person must have been like uber confident and bold to ask that question where they might see me do something or maybe Lisa, you do, or Carlos, you do something and be like, wow, like I'm not at that confidence level yet. And the reality is that at least in my career and for that person, I can't speak for the both of you, but those moments are scary. And when I went into those conversations, this client with 80%, he was nervous. And that's how we prepared to go have that conversation, not knowing what the answer was going to be. When I've had to have those difficult conversations in the past for me, they're not fun. I am nervous. I am scared to death in a lot of the cases. And that's okay. And then it's that decision of like, is this worth me having the conversation about not tying some outcome to my self-worth? That if they say, yes, I'm better. If I'm no, I'm worse. Yeah. So we can still be confident within. And we just have to know that, that everyone gets scared and nervous and frustrated and overwhelmed. And if you need any confirmation of that, call me (laughs) any day. (laughs) Because we're all dealing with it. And it's just, how do we just continue to slowly work through that with either talking to people, making a list? You know, I, I'm a big believer. I don't know if you both are. I'm this big. I get my soapbox. So when I talk to uh, my coaching clients, I'm like, okay, here's the soapbox moment. 
And there's certain themes I see, things like that. One of them right now is stop talking and start writing. It's something I'm just really adamant about right now. And I've got whiteboards down here. I've got a virtual whiteboard over here. And again, if when you look at the way the brain works, sometimes we all get stuck in our head. Like me, absolutely. Like stuck in my head of like, well, I could do this or that, or we got this situation, that situation. And it's over and over and over again in our head. And by writing it down, and there's no format, there's no, it's just like throw up on the page, or if you're a more structured person, do bullets, whatever you need to. Mm-hmm. But putting it on paper lets the brain see it differently and process it differently. And I think, Carlos, you said earlier, it's like putting the stuff together differently, right? So, and if you have an employee, it's like, let's write down what's going on. Yep. Or let's map this out. Let's whiteboard this out. And it's a, I found a game changer for when you're super emotional about something, when you're frustrated about something, when you're trying to crack into a client and you just can't seem to crack in. It's like, put it down on paper. What are the facts? What do we know to be true? Because that leads to better questions once the brain can see it. I'll step off my soapbox now. No, no, I like that. It kind of goes into mastering your emotions because most people these days, we've all been optimized to the max. We all got a gazillion emails thrown at us every day. We're pulled in 37 different directions and we feel like we have a thousand things to do. Yes. And even if it's 10, our brain flips through them back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, that it feels like a thousand. So, uh, you know, I, I tell folks, you know, make a list and then prioritize it. And I go, here's the hardest thing to do on the list. What things on there as leaders are you not going to do? Which ones do you say to your boss? No, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. So I can't do this. And if I'm wrong, let me know. I'll reprioritize. But uh, putting them all down helps because then when you write them down, it's not a thousand. Okay, it's really 10. Hey, these are the top two most important ones, I think. And these are like the bottom two, let's call it. And the stuff is in the middle. I need to get to it eventually. And then plan accordingly. I get overwhelmed as well, just like everybody else. And I did this thing. I did it Monday and I haven't done it since then. So I'm mad at myself this week. But I call it, you know, you plan the day and I got my top three. Like these are the three things I have to do today. And then there's everything else. (laughs) And sometimes in the top three, it's work out. It's I'm having a date night with my significant other. It's, hey, I got to make this call on this account. It's prospecting. It's thing to talk about prospecting as a, as a muscle and a habit you have to do and schedule for, right? But it helped organize my day because having a list of 50 things and checking them all off, half of those could have been the wrong things. And now you're wasting your time. Any thoughts on that? Am I crazy? I'll, oh, you're not crazy. You are. Yes, you are. Hang on, right. <laughs> you're still crazy, but you're right about this. No. <laughs> I've done this exercise for the last couple of quarters with one of the, a leadership team that I work with. And that's CEO, CFO, CEO, you know, chief sales officer, everybody in the room and their first direct reports, that next level down. And this is about six months ago, I walked in the room and I said, okay, we're here to talk about priorities. Give me the top three and three only. That was tough for them, not me. I just got to sit there and let them try to figure it out. But it was really tough. And when you think about it, it's that mindset shift of like, what are the couple things that are going to move the needle the most? And the rest is, I think we sometimes associate, well, I have to say no, no, and that is incorrect. Sometimes you just have to say not yet. And there's a substantial difference with that, right? That it's not yet. And these are the top couple, two, three, whatever that are going to move the needle. It can't be more than three, in my opinion, because 
at some point, then you're just running, 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 and it's going to be out of control, right? So even in my business, like I, when I look down here, and I know you guys can't see it, or obviously if you're here listening, you can't see anything. Or but I, but when I look down, I've got a whiteboard and it has my priorities, and there's four on there. That's it. So everything I do, I match up against those four. And if I'm gonna, I find myself. My wife is actually the COO of the business, and she keeps me focused and on track. And oftentimes I'll be like, "Ooh, I want to do this," and then Shannon will look at me and say, "But that's outside the priorities." And then I'll look at the four and then I'll have my little internal pity party (laughs) as my wife was right again, like my COO was right. And then I'll realize very quickly that like, that's exactly right. This is a distraction and it's not serving me to go down this path. Would it be fun? Yes. Could it be useful? Yes, but not yet. You're a hundred percent right. That is the key thing, right? Because also when you think about the downstream impacts of these decisions, right? When you focus on and create that vision of like, these are the three priorities or two, whatever, and you communicate that to your team, then they know where to focus as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And if they keep shifting, then your team is getting confused of where they need to focus. Yep. And it's just as best we can, I think shift and change. I'm not saying leadership is like, oh, I have two things this year and that's it. It can shift and morph and change, but it's our communication has to be so succinct that we just don't, we don't confuse those people underneath us. So like salespeople, especially it's like, okay, this month we're focused on cold calls. And then all of a sudden a week later, it's like, no centers of influence, like with the referrals, we need more referrals. And then it's back to like, but you're not making cold calls. I thought that was the focus for the month. Well, wait, you just told me to work on centers of influence. Like, like I'm confused at my priorities. Yep. Like, where do you want me to work? And then we just do nothing at all. Yeah. Have you ever heard of something called the Eisenhower matrix, Matt? I haven't. You should Google it. It's exactly what you're talking about. And I can't remember how I end up coming across it. But it is like what's important and urgent, what's not important, but urgent. Anyway, and it's like you delegate those things, you remove those things, you prioritize these things. And I often coach people, I'll bring it up and I'll say like, so now look at your calendar and apply this matrix and get all those things that are not important and not urgent off there. Not important, not urgent is somebody walking over to your desk to show you the latest like TikTok or whatever. So like get get those distractions off your calendar so that you can prioritize the things that are really going to help you achieve your goals. But yeah, I think you'll like it. It's very simple and it's easy for people to like internalize. I think it's been around since forever. What you said, Carlos, just a bit ago is I'll use my personal example. You said work out. When I'm done with my meetings today, I'm gone because I'm going to go watch my 18, almost 18 year old daughter play volleyball. There are no meetings. There, are, There's nothing past when that time hits because I know when I'm leaving and I know when I'll get home. That's the priority. So right now for me, my three kids are my priority. My wife's my priority. It's like, so I bake that stuff in first and then I figure out what else. So it's that personal stuff too that to your point is so important. We can't lose sight of like, I mean, my kids are going to be gone. They're 18, almost 18, almost 16 and 12. And I mean, they're going to be gone on a blink and it's already gone fast. And my daughter goes off to college next year. And like, then we're down to two and then we'll be down to one shortly after that. And then it'll just be my wife and I, and hopefully she still likes me at that point. But (laughs) it's those little things too, of like that personal side is just as important. We have to take care of ourselves from an energetic perspective. If we expect to show up the best salespeople and sales leaders possible, we have to. And those are critical things. And I, I come across too many people who have these regrets of I should have I should have done this, I should have done that. And a lot of times it's like I should have spent more time with family, friends, those sorts of things that we just can't lose sight of every day. Yeah. I was talking to someone else that were in my workshop before and they just switched their careers. And she goes, you know, I Carlos, I did my best at it and I had to make a shift. And I go, Hey, I'm proud of you for doing it, for asking the question, trying to make it work. And I go, I look back at my career and there are times. Being the kid of two immigrants, yes, 
and man, I can relate to you. My dad is coming up on his 10 year anniversary of passing away and it still feels like yesterday sometimes. And I have been very stubborn sometimes in my career of, hey, I'm not doing great, but I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to prove them wrong. And if I were just to go back and ask myself some more questions, I'm not saying give up early, but I'm also saying, hey, don't get so stuck in it that you stay in a role or work for a group too long. Yes. And you're putting your whole heart. And sometimes, because usually when you get, I get to that point, what I end up putting on the back burner is are my relationships, my family, my health, because I'm trying to give it all I can on this one block of my life. And uh, I wish I'd, I've had people in my life along the way tell me, in hindsight, I wish I had I made those pivot points more often. But you know what? It, it is who you are, right? And that's why we kind of do the podcast and we share these experiences because as other people are going through it, hey, maybe they'll ask themselves a question a little bit more. Oh, yeah. You're making me think of my dad telling me a story when when we were little kids. I have an older sister, just the two of us. And my dad had this one boss and he said to my father, he said, if you ever miss one of your kids' games, I will fire you. Wow. I kid you not. He said this to my father. And I love that because this boss knew, and I have no idea what this guy's name is, but his message to my father was like, your family's important. You better be at their events because you don't get it back. And I don't know if this guy had a bad experience. Maybe he did something wrong that led him to say that to my dad and like kind of set that tone. But it's, I think, a beautiful thing from a leadership perspective of like, yeah, we can always make more sales, stuff like that. But what do I, I always go back to like one of the big beliefs I have is as leaders is like, do you have a very clear leadership philosophy? Like, do you have something that's guiding how you show up, what you need to do, what actually actions you're taking. And it also sets the expectations for your team. So they know what they're getting and they know what the expectations are of them. And I come across a lot of leaders who don't have that. They never thought about it or they get these very cliche answers like, you know, I have an open door policy and I'm like, okay, yeah. And I get what you mean, <laughs> but that's not unique to you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really paint a picture for me of what it's going to look like for you as a leader. Right. And I don't care if you're a salesperson or a leader, it doesn't matter, but it's starting to think through like those expectations and how to show up and do all those things. And the thing I like about most about this guy, whoever he is out there in the universe that told my dad that, I mean, how clear was he on, I expect this personal side for you and you will do this. Otherwise there will be consequences. And my dad didn't miss a game. At least I don't recall. Uh, he probably wasn't at everyone, but I remember him being there a lot. You know, making your personal life and your family a priority as well is something I have failed at in the past. I can tell you plenty of anniversaries and birthdays that I have missed. But again, a good friend of mine, and we all worked together, Sal Vicente died about eight years ago. And as he was dealing with cancer, he reminded me of something and it stuck with me. And I, I really feel eight years ago, it's kind of changed my life a little bit. Maybe that's why I live in a cabin in the woods. But he said, hey, Carl's at the end, you're not thinking about that one big contract you're going to win. You're not thinking about that great SKO event you pulled together. All you're thinking about are moments with family and friends. So like the baseball game, the, you know, the volleyball game you go to. And it just hit me. It's like, you know, you're so right. And I know you, you got to do both. And that's what balance is all about. But if you don't make your personal life a priority, no one else is going on your calendar and going, hey, don't forget your kid's game this evening. You got to do that. Correct. Yeah, let's at least you want to go on a bike ride? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we talked about it four years ago. We haven't booked it yet, right? It's like book the time. Yeah. Do it. Yep. Otherwise, it's okay to stop talking about it and say we're not we're never gonna do a bike ride, Lisa. Yeah. Because you know what? You and I aren't gonna make the time. Or boy, that's a long way to ride to to commute to for a bike ride. But yep. it's that point of like if something's important to you, book the time. Mm -hmm. 
sales, leading people, personal, everything. Yep. Book the time, focus on the priorities. It's huge. Yep. Absolutely. It's so easy to get distracted, but also kind of circles back to similarly how they say, like, if you're ill, like something happens in your life, your job doesn't take care of you. Your family and friends do. So like what's really important? Of course, we need to make a living. We need to make an income. But when it comes down to it, like those are the people who are going to be there for you when you need them. Yes. So true. You guys are making me think of I was working with this team up and they had an offsite in Breckenridge in the mountains of Colorado here, for those of you who don't know what Breckenridge is, but I spent three days with them. And one of the things that I asked this team to do, because one thing in, in athletics is routines rule, right? So I've got like a pregame routine, a in-game routine. I've got a post-game routine. Like It's just the way you spend your time to prepare your mind, all those sorts of stuff, right? And I'll throw this challenge out to your listeners right now, but I had thrown this challenge out to the group where I said, what if you got up 30 minutes early every day and started your day off differently? Right. And it's a very simple concept, right? And you can do this over lunch or before bed, things like that. But take 30 minutes, 15 if you want to. If you're not like, oh, 30 minutes is too much, Matt. Great. Do 15. But start your day off differently. And so this group had to identify what those things are and then make a commitment that whether they're going to do it or not. So anyway, we do this three-day event. And about two months later, I circle back with the, the CFO who happened to be there, and this guy named Ari. And, and we're just having a chat and catching up. And he goes, Matt, he goes, that that routine thing, he goes, it changed my life. Now, I think there are certain phrases thrown out that kind of catch you a little bit. And that was one of them. I'm like, whoa. I go, that's a bold statement. And I, I asked them, what did you do? Because I, I introduced something very simple, but like, what did you do? Because that's that's a bold statement. He said, well, I decided to get 30 minutes early. And with that time, and I don't remember this, he said, I decided to make my two children breakfast and sit and eat with them. He said, it's completely transformed our relationship. And I was blown away by that because what a, what a small but substantial adjustment, right? To priorities, to time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, how do we look at our entire day? Not only in our personal lives, but like what we're doing every day and just challenge, like, is this a good use of my time? And what am I getting out of this? And how's this moving me forward personally and professionally? And I think just getting back to questions of like questioning, like where we're spending our time and not getting lost in this la la land existential, like, oh, like, you know, like the sky is falling or, or what's the meaning of life? It's, it's, you know, don't go that far yet, but it's just like the little moments of like, are we really using time wisely? Because in a lot of cases we're not, or we're not focused on the important things, the priorities, the, the family, all those sorts of things. It's like little things to make a huge difference. So your listeners, you guys want to do something potentially substantial, make one 30 minute adjustment to either morning, lunch, or evening and see what impact it can have. Massive. Pro athletes do it. It's a tool to leverage. That's really good advice. So, I mean, I'm looking at the time here. We could keep going all day, Matt. I feel like we barely touched on all the topics we actually wanted to because we, we kind of like doubled down on this. But our big thing here on this podcast is actionable insights. And you just gave people one. So that's a great one. So we've got to wrap things up, but we do always end the podcast with a couple of questions. But in this case, we're going to stick with one. And would that 30 minutes, would that be the advice? We call it our acceleration insight. And we talk about like, what is one piece of advice you'd give the listeners that could help transform their lives, but also help them to hit their goals this year? I will play upon that 30 minutes. Okay. But I'll say it a little bit differently for all you listeners. You know what you need to do. And the key to making that happen is instead of making it so big, make it small. And your entire focus for this next quarter is do the small things consistently. That's what's going to get you where you want to go. Getting up one time for 30 minutes in the morning is not going to get you where you want to go. It's getting up 30 minutes every single day. That's going to achieve your goal. You know what you need to do. 
be confident in that. You've done it before. You can do it again, but just do the small things consistently. You will crush the fourth quarter, the first quarter, the second quarter, whatever quarter you're listening to this in. You will crush your results if you stay consistent with everything. Love it. Here we go, folks. Consistency matters. Awesome, Matt. Well, if anybody listening really wants to double down on these topics or, or talk to you, what's your preferred method of communication? Yeah, please connect with me on LinkedIn. So it's Matt Phillips 15, Matt Phillips 15 with the LinkedIn. Uh, you can go find me there. And then also, if you want to hear a little more insight into kind of what we do and how we do it, I mean, head over to mattphillipscoaching.com slash webinar. And actually, I'm doing a, a free training where we talk through really the exact strategies that I utilized and coached one of my sales leaders, my sales clients on, and his division tripled revenue in 12 months by doing these things. So a little more insight into that, uh, please go over to mattphillipscoaching.com slash webinar. And again, we're all in this together. So however I can help, I'm here for you all. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Matt. We know how valuable it is and we really appreciate you being on the show. Lisa, Carlos, such a fun talk. And thank you for having me as a guest and for your time as well. I, I really enjoyed it. It's absolutely our pleasure. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Follow us, subscribe through YouTube. You can find us anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And, you know, share this episode with your friends, your coworkers, your family, get them off their screens for a little while. And if you like what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I am Lisa Schneer. I am joined by my podcast partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And as always, we wish Wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.